Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. I'm excited about the word this morning. And I've been praying for you all week. I know God has got something for each one of us. So this Bible is a truth document. It holds truth. And the reason we gather together every week is to come and hear the truth that this book holds for our lives so that we can align our lives with God's will and give him faithful obedience. Amen? And we believe that this holy Bible is different to every other book on the planet in that it was authored by God. Look at this scripture with me. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So God wrote this book of truth. Therefore, we accept, believe, and obey it, and embrace it as truth, as the truth of God. And we know that this truth document was written for man, that man may be complete and equipped. Animals don't read this book. Plants don't read this book. The land doesn't read this book and neither do the stars. Only we do. God wrote this book for you and I. It contains truth for you and I. And we believe that the truth this Bible contains is living. And it's powerful because God tells us that as a truth. Look at this scripture in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we know, each one of us sitting here, from our own personal experience, that this truth is living. Because it's transformed our hearts and lives. Amen? If you witness with that, say amen. Amen. This is a faithful saying. By writing his story, God has rewritten our story. Now this truth document teaches us important truth, but it does not teach us all truth. It does not teach us all the truth God knows. And it does not teach us all the truth we might want to know. Because this book was written for us, it contains the truth that is relevant to us to find God, discover who he is, Understand his will and purpose so that we can align with it in obedience. Okay? And the Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, 
that we see and know only in part. He says, I've only given you part of the truth, but I've given you the most important truth for your life. And in this series, we are going to look at the meta-narrative of this book of truth. The one unified story of this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. This is one unified story. The hero of the story is God. The theme of the story is his plans, his purposes, and his will. The main character of the story is you and me, mankind. I'm writing a book. I'm a novice, and I had to do tons of research before I started this assignment that God gave me. And the one thing the experts tell us as authors is that before you write one sentence, you must have finished your book. You must know your topic, your theme. You must have your introduction. You must know how many chapters are in your book, the headings of those chapters, and what detail you're going to cover in those chapters. And you must know how it's going to end. You must know all of this before you write one word. What we're going to discover in this series is that this is exactly what the author of this book did. He knew everything before he even wrote the first word through Moses in the book of Genesis. He had it all planned out. So why is it important that we as disciples, as followers of Christ, understand the meta-narrative of the Bible? Why is this important, Chantal? Because we are a key component We're a key character of the story. We play a key role in the plans and purposes of God. And when we understand the unified story of the Bible, we find our place in the story and we can make meaning of our lives. And today we're going to start at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. And there's two truths, because remember, we open by saying this is a truth document. We go here when we are seeking the truth about God and about our lives. There's two truths the Holy Spirit wants to highlight for us this morning. And that is the who and why of creation. The who and why of creation is as important for you and I today as it was for ancient Israel when Moses penned the book of Genesis. The who and why of creation lays the foundation for the meta-narrative of the Bible. But it's also where you and I find our place in God's story and the meaning of our lives. It's where we find our identity and our mission. Two areas that are constantly under attack. Now, when we are looking into this document for truth, it's important for you to note that when we are considering the who and why of creation, we are doing theological exploration. 
We are not doing scientific exploration of the how and when of creation. Although this is important, it's not our focus today. Today we are focusing on the meta-narrative of the Bible. But I must say that good science is not a threat to the truth of Scripture. You see, God created man and the world we live in. And man discovers new truths about God's world every day. We are not in, scripture is not in conflict with modern science. And it, that's why starting from, from here, before I even get to the end of my message, I'm giving you homework. It's important that we form the right worldview about God's creation and modern science. We don't want to cause or be a barrier to scientists coming to know their creator. You see, the Old Testament was written between two to 4,000 years ago. Since then, there's been massive scientific discovery of the truths of God's world that he created. So I want to encourage you to do further study on this, on how to interpret the creation story of the Bible within our modern context. But don't just look at any sources. Go to theological sources. People who are trained in proper methods of interpreting biblical texts. I think the theologian Bob Utley says it best when he says the creation story is not anti-scientific. It's pre-scientific. And I want to recommend that you start with this book. If you're taking notes, Jot down its title. It's written by two theologians, one of which is a career physicist. Start there, but make sure you look at different theological views and do it in prayer, being led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are here this morning to hear your truth the truth of your word, your truth for our lives, right now, today. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would shine your light of truth into each and every heart that is present. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one, who? Who created the who of creation. Go with me to Genesis 1. We're going to read verse 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. This is the author of this document of truth, his introduction. And here he introduces himself as the author of creation. God created the heavens and the earth. 
God created the universe and everything in it. He created our world that we live in. We see here that at one point, it was without form and void. And he created with the Spirit. We see that the Spirit was there at the time of creation. And when we fast forward into the New Testament, we discover the truth that Jesus Christ was there too. In fact, he was the agent of creation. Look with me in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, how many things? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here, we find Jesus present and active at the time of creation. There's clear New Testament evidence that the pre-existent word and the second person of the triune Godhead, Jesus Christ, was not only the agent of creation, but the one who holds creation together. Look at this in Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and him and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1 verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Clear evidence in this truth document that the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, created the universe and everything in it. In this introduction, God also introduces himself as the awesome, sovereign power of creation. God speaks, let there be light, and there is light. And we also see in the, in the first chapter of Genesis that God created by process. He created progressively. Moses gives it to us in days. But I must make this side note, it's not necessarily literal 24-hour periods. But you will discover more on that as you do your own studies. There's two ways that we interpret biblical texts. Literally, for sure, like the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But there's also non-literal interpretation. A camel can't pass through the eye of a needle. 
And, and Jesus told stories, parables, that conveyed truth, but weren't literal stories. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, to chapter 2, verse 3, we find the process God created with. Day one, light was created and separated from darkness. Day two, sky was created, separated waters below and above it. Day three, fertile earth, there was dry land. Seas, plants, and trees were created. Day four, the light bearers, the sun, the moon, the stars were created. Day five, creatures, sea life, and birds were created. Day six, God created animals, and then finally, he creates humans in his own image. And on day seven, he rests. The Jews know this as a Sabbath law, but you and I know this as we've entered the rest of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are taking notes, go and read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 this week. Paul unpacks this in detail there. So the who of creation is the all-powerful, sovereign, triune Godhead. God created the universe and he filled it. And he did it progressively. Here God introduces himself as the author, the owner, the power, the artist, and the authority of creation. And he created both us and the world we live in. So what's the relevance of the who of creation for you and I today? The who of my creation defines my identity you see, if God had nothing to do with my creation, then I define my identity but by whatever is closest to me, by whatever passing trend grabs my fancy, whatever the world tells me who I am, whatever label someone has ascribed to me, or by an experience I've been through. But when I know that I am created by God in his image, then I take my identity from him. I come to this truth document to discover who am I? What does it say about my identity? It's packed with the truth about who you and I are. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a precious people, his own possession. And that's just one verse in this truth document about who you are. Point two, the why of creation. You see, the why of creation is as important as the who. Because if I know that I was created by God in his image, but I don't know why he created me, then I will not know what my purpose in this life is. 
I will not know how to find meaning in my daily mission. Let's go to Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Note the plural, confirmation of the triune Godhead. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right here, the author of creation writes mankind into his story as the main character and gives us a role. And we see from this text that we are not an accident. We were deliberately and specifically part of God's plan. The triune Godhead said, let us. They got together and had a meeting. Let us make man in our image. We are the result of God's specific plan. Of all the things God created in the universe, you and I alone were created in his image. The stars, the universe, the sun, the moon, the planets, as magnificent as they are, not created in his image nor the plants, nor the animals, nor the seas, nor the land, just you and I. That sets us apart from every other thing God created. And it gives us the highest place in creation. God places us as the apex of his creation. And he says, have dominion. He gives us a role a leadership role over his creation to govern, to develop, and take care of the earth. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He says, use my creation to develop. Use these raw materials, be fruitful, increase, be creative, develop, multiply. And note that he expects a return. Be fruitful and multiply. He's expecting that we are working for him and we are productive. Then God begins man's apprenticeship or his training. And he does this by placing him in a fully prepared, perfect environment, a garden. Look at Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Do you see our role? That word keep means to watch over, protect, preserve, guard. And then God personally mentors, trains, and works together with Adam. Adam. 
As you go and read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 this week, you will see God brings the animals and the birds to Adam and says, here's my creation, have dominion, lead, you name them. Whatever you call them, they will be called. And he gives Adam very clear instruction. You see this tree, you can eat this. You see that tree, you can't eat that. And notice that God expected an obedience in return. And he shows a deep concern for Adam's welfare. He says it's not good that he's alone and doesn't have someone just like himself as a companion. So he makes woman and gives him this companion. And what we see is that God created us in his image for deep, intimate relationship and intimacy, to work together with him. He patterns this for us in the garden, the way he works with Adam and fellowships with him. So God gives Adam a mission. He says, you're in my image, you're my agent here on my creation, Work it and keep it for me and to me. Make it fruitful, govern it, I've given you authority, I've placed you in the highest place, steward it, look after it for me. He didn't place us in heaven to govern there. He's got that covered. He placed us here and he said, you are the apex of my creation here, you govern here. Lead here. And, and here's the crux. He said, you do all of that in full partnership and cooperation with me. He didn't create us as lone rangers. You see, the why of creation is in the first place intimate relationship with God who created us, whose image we are made in. And then it's to lead, govern, develop, and keep his creation on his behalf, unto him as worship, as creator of all things, in full cooperation with him and his purposes, not our own. This was the mission God gave to mankind right at the beginning. And it's the mission you and I still have today. And Jesus restates this truth for us over and over again in his teachings. Look here with me at the parable of the tenants. He says, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The master is God. He bought a place, prepared a place, filled the place, made it perfect for us, made us tenants of it and says, what? Work it for me, make it fruitful. 
The parable of ten miners in Luke 19, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten miners and said to them, engage in business until I come again. The nobleman is God. He's given us his servants talents, things he wants us to use and multiply. Notice he expects a return. The parable of the vineyard in Matthew 20, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. The master is God. It's his vineyard. He owns it. He owns creation. We are his laborers, his agents. Notice that Jesus, through these teachings, keeps bringing us back to working for God. He keeps bringing us back to the who of creation. You were made in God's image. And the why, you were made to work for God. He brings them from wherever else they are working, whatever other occupation they've got. And he says, no, 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 come back and work in my vineyard. You see, we work for God. Owner, creator, triune Godhead, not for ourselves. That was our original mission, and it's still our mission today. What is the relevance of this for you and I? The why of my creation determines my mission in life. Knowing I'm created for his purpose means that I don't go about my daily mission disregarding the truth of his will, his plans, and his purposes. You see, if I don't know why God created me, I will design my own mission. I will look to what's around me, what grabs my fancy, what is a close opportunity, or what I've settled for because of my condition, instead of pursuing my God-given purpose. You see, because God created my world and me, I know that I am created for his workmanship. Look at Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I allow him to design my life's mission. And I do that by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And only when I do that will I find my unique, specific role that he designed me for. But it starts there. Seek he first the kingdom of God. But something happened 
that corrupted and disrupted both our original identity and mission. And you will hear more about that next week. And I want to bring this to a close. The who and why of creation gives us the foundation for the meta-narrative of the Bible, but it also gives us the foundation for finding our place in God's story and the meaning of our lives. You see, we were created by God for His purposes. The who and the why of creation draw our attention to two key truths, our identity and our mission. And these two are intricately connected. You see, if I believe that my identity is a gangster, I will work for my gang. And we see that Jesus was dealing with these two things over and over again, wherever he encountered people. Mary, you are not a prostitute. That's not your identity. Peter, you are not a fisherman. He dealt with identity. And then he speaks to mission as he redirects it. Mary, you are called as a daughter of the Most High God. Peter, you are a fisher of men. When you see it, you will see it everywhere in Scripture. In fact, these two themes are dominant throughout the Scriptures. When God set the nation of Israel apart to carry his name and his image in the earth for his purposes, he gave them his identity. But they kept losing their original identity when they would take on the identity of their surrounding nations. And once they did that, they lost their God-given mission. Now when you read through the Old Testament and you see the prophecies, there's two things God is always dealing with. That's not who you are and that's not what you're called to do. Come back to who you are. You are mine. Come back to what I've called you to do. You work for me. When you see it, you will see it everywhere in Scripture. And these are the two big questions you and I struggle with every day. Our identity and our mission. Who am I? What am I on this earth to do? And these are also the two areas that God's enemy will attack the most in your life. You see, Satan is after your identity. He wants you to be something other than what God created you as. He will tell you any lie to get you to believe you're not created in God's image. Just look at the war and identity that's raging in our world today. This word is for someone who's listening to this message. Don't believe the lie. You are made in the image of God. You are not what other people say you are. You are not what your experience tells you you are. And then, 
Satan wants you working for him. He doesn't want you working for God in your God-given purpose and mission. He will give you thousands of distracting opportunities to pursue as your life interest, as your mission, and all of it designed to distance you from intimacy, from seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, if we don't know who the author author of our creation is, we cannot understand the why of our lives. Won't you stand with me? Won't you just get into a position of worship before God and do some personal application of these two truths, the who and why of creation. Consider, where are you drawing your identity from? You're definitely drawing it from somewhere, but is it God? And if it's not God, if it's some other God, smash that idol and come back to your true identity. And who are you working for? Who are you laboring for day in and day out right now? Is it God? Is it your divine God-given purpose and mission of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Because this is his promise to you. If you reset and you make Matthew 6.33 a priority, he will add all the other things that you think you can get outside of him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth, the truth of your word, the power of your living word. Lord, we invite the power of your living word right now to do a deep heart surgery. Take away what's not of you. Add more of you. Bring us back to the truth where we have strayed from it. This, Father, we ask together in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I do not want you to leave here this morning if you have not got a personal relationship with the one who created you in his own image and who's got a perfect plan for your life. So if you are here and you know God is doing a deep work in your heart and he's saying, I've got so much more for you. You're settling for less. 
You've been told you're a gangster and you're working for a gang. When you get to the end of your life, you will discover that it was not my plan for you. I had something so much greater. If that's you, won't you put your hand up? I don't want you to leave here this morning without making rights with your Creator. If that's you, will you lift your hand high so that I can see you? I really want to pray with you. I see a hand. I see a hand. Oh, we thank you, Father. We thank you for the power of your living word and its truth as it's working in our hearts and our lives. If you've put your hand up, I'm going to ask you, won't you come to the front? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray with you and stand with you as you make this commitment. In fact, all of us want to stand with you as you make this commitment, right? Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, bless you. I'm going to ask you just to repeat a very simple prayer. I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. Father, this morning I recognize you as my creator. I know now I'm created in your image. I will never believe another lie that disputes that. And because of this truth, I choose with all of my heart to work for you the rest of my days as my Lord, as my Savior, as my Master, as my Creator. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you go with this lady? She's just going to give you some material. And then there's another category of people I want to pray for this morning. Come quickly. If you're struggling with your purpose and your mission, if there's a question mark, if you don't know, come, come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to agree. We want to agree with you for clarity. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come, come, quickly, quickly, quickly. If that's you, don't hold back. Come, 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 come. Thank you, Jesus. Run, run. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Here we are, Jesus. Won't you just tell him, here I am. I'm tired of working for someone that is not you. I'm tired of laboring to fruitlessness. I'm tired of this valley of dry bones. Today, today I choose to align with my God-given purpose. Today I choose to work for you, Father, to do what you have called me to do. And I make a commitment, Lord, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness so that you can guide my every step
and lead me into the fullness of my destiny. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.